that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to your weekly dose of Italian-American heritage, history, and hilarity. Your favorite show, the Italian-American podcast. I'm John Viola with my partner in crime, the notorious P.O.B. Patrick O'Boyle, and the one and only Miss Rosella Rago. And uh, for today's purposes, we are going to introduce her as the original Italian-American food influencer, if you will. She's been doing this for Many, many a year now. Proto. Is that the word? Proto. Yeah, Proto. Proto. Food. Call me the OG. I'm the OG. I'm, I'm the old girl. <laughs> oh, no. That's negative. We're all old now, baby. Or you're the goat. When you're the goat, you're the greatest of all time. That's true. It took me years to figure out when that goat thing came out that that's what that was about. <laughs> Why are they calling people goat? I mean, that's a relatively new phrase. Were you thinking it was like a milk and cheese thing? No, I just like watch go. That's another gift the millennials gave the world. The worst thing is when people text me pictures and I don't know what they mean. Yeah, speaking in hieroglyphics. That's what this has become. Crazy, like, isn't uh, it? Uh, because it's, it's. I don't know. I, I mean, it's not. I'm not trying to date myself here, but I just don't. Like, I, I get a flame. What does that mean? I guess that's free flame. Like, what does that good, mean? What is a punching extra thing good? Mean? I don't know what that, who knows? Do you remember, did either of you download this is probably like five or six years ago now, a bunch of Italian-American groups led by the Columbus Citizens Foundation and sponsored by Frank Bisignano of First Data created a cell phone app, like an iPhone app, that was really about supporting Columbus Day. I, I was the goal, but it was a series of emojis of Italian things, you know, the, the hand and the horn and uh, figs and all these different things. And uh, I don't know how well... It did getting it around, but I downloaded it and I think I used it for a couple of weeks and sent everybody that I knew with the valid in their name these things. And then I kind of forgot it was on my phone. But did either of you guys download that? I had one before that that I still use. Oh, you got the one where the guy's biting his hand with a little. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I like that. that I understand that to me is a uh, and I'm not, I'm not this is not to play to the audience. But if you have an Italian person gesticulating, you could read it. You know, biting the hand. I understand what that means. I don't understand. Now I know what a goat is when people send you a goat. Now I understand what that means. <laughs> See, you learn something new every day like, here. The three flames, I still don't know what that means. Is that like Padre Fius Spiritus Santo? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I highly doubt what it's got a religious. Was it like Pentecost with three flames? I have no idea. Like, <laughs> is the Trinity present in the descent? I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's just kind of like, I don't know. I like to use the horn, like the Malocchio hand. And the pepper. That's my good luck. That's about the only thing. And the flags. I use the flags. You know. I would only send that if somebody had something like where my grandma would say shpoot to shpoot to shpoot three times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> the, the, you know, while we're on this topic, the flags, the flag in which the red, white and green is running horizontally. That's the Hungarian flag. The little red flag with the white looking Trinacria. That's the flag of the island of man. That's not Sicily. So I, I, I encourage everybody out there. Pay attention to what you're clicking. It's great that you're proud and you're sharing your pride in Italian or Sicilian culture, but you gotta really get the flags right. People are messing up the Tenacria with the with the yes the yes. things for the Isle of Man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a tr it's a Tenacria. It's a version. It's a Triscalon. It's a British version of the Tenacria, but it's somebody else's flag. It's not Sicily. And obviously, the Hungarian flag. I've seen the flag of Cote d'Ivoire. I've seen the Irish flag. None of those are the flag of Italy. Uh, just give everybody a heads up if, you know, we're going to use them. Let's try. I, I see the Hungarian flag get used for Italian stuff constantly. How about the Mexican flag? I've seen that being used, too. I mean, at least you're talking about the right 
way. You know, I, I can I can kind of see where that gets confusing visually. But uh, the 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 stripes in the opposite direction is just it's a step too far. Let's try very hard to put the right flags when we're using these things because you know. I you know I know a guy who accidentally got went to get the Italian flag tattooed on his arm, Italian American guy, and didn't really remember which way it went. He had it; they tattooed it backwards. They tattooed it. Who did this? You're not going to say the name. No, this a guy I knew in college. Know? No, no, a guy I knew in college. I, know, I, I don't know. get the tattoo thing either, but that's you know that is it is what it is. Yeah, well, I like tattoos. Well, my, let's say if you had all Neapolitan tattoos 20 years ago, you'd be like erasing them now and replacing them. Why? With Sicilian tattoos. Oh, me so, personally, you know, like an eraser, like when when people would date a girl and put their that's like, not name, true. That's like not Karen true. tattooed on their arm, and then you gotta take Karen off and put Jennifer on your arm. <laughs> that's fundamentally untrue. I contemplated different Neapolitan tattoos. Just the Trinacria was easy, and then my second oh, one. Oh, ski needles. Why would you want a needle in your skin? Oh, I hate needles. I don't it's like it. But you have them. You have them. Why would you want some? Oh, I skeeve needles. I don't no, like needles. Getting tattoos. I don't like was... ink in your the, the concept of it. I, piercings. I, I pierce the eye. I cry. I don't, I don't like that stuff. I don't like blood. I, I, I don't like, like needles. I, I'm with you. I, I, I don't like getting doctors, blood drawn. Doctors, nurses, I give them a lot of credit because that ain't my thing. No, I don't like getting blood drawn. I don't like the needles at all. And... The first time I got a tattoo, I oh. almost passed out. They had a they had a stop. Oh, why would you do? I'd be hiding. I, just, I, I hide under the bed. Oh my god! Oh, I really I skeep that stuff. Oh, I don't like needles. Bro, what about? Would you have one? Would you ever get a tattoo? Me? Yeah. Why would you put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari? Because <laughs> well, for you, Rob. Good for you. <laughs> God gave me God gave me a Volkswagen Bug to work with here, so I'm doing the best I can oh, no, to spruce it up. It was also my upbringing. I was never allowed to do I wasn't allowed to get like in, in the early 2000s when girls were getting those zebra highlights in their hair. You know, you got jet, you're a jet black haired Italian girl. Everyone's getting these platinum blonde highlights like a like an idiot. My mother said no. I wanted to pierce things. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, I can't. Stand. I can't. I just keep it out. I can't. When I see people with that stuff, I got to turn my head because I get so squeezed out. I get like I gag reflex. When I'm when I was like 16, I wanted a belly button ring, you know, because every idiot was doing that. And and my mother was she's like, what do you want a belly button ring for? You don't even have a nice stomach. <laughs> That's an Angela answer. Angela That's... was painfully blunt. Painfully honest, you know, like, but that's my mother, you know, I'm like, my, my legs look fat in this dress. She's like, they are fat. They're your father's side. <laughs> that's the... Well, that's not an insult to you. That's an attack on her in-laws. Exactly. Yeah. That's but, using you, know. you as a tool to get at the in-law. Exactly. My side doesn't have legs like this. The first time I got a tattoo, I couldn't tell my parents I was getting a tattoo, obviously. So I was living in Los Angeles and I went down with some friends and you know, I, I'm an artist and I had to think a lot about uh, what I wanted. Right. And it was a big decision for me. So I sketched all this stuff. I went back and forth, back and forth. And I settled on the Trinacria because of my grandfather, my Sicilian grandfather. And I was, you know, anyway, I go in. Duly noted. Yeah. Duly, duly noted. noted. Yes. I, I have some great Neapolitan designs. I'll still was get it. Trinacria. Duly noted. Not, not my last. But I, uh, I went in. I went to the chair. I'm nervous as hell. And I'm white as a ghost like you know i don't like needles and my phone rings and it's my grandmother who rarely calls me on my cell phone like that it's just not you know and uh i picked it up on my like, grandma's everything okay she's like yeah i just was thinking about you but what are you doing and i said grandma i can't lie to you i'm in a tattoo chair about to get the trinacria tattooed on my arm i've never 
in all my years, I was obviously much younger then, heard my grandmother so disappointed in me. It was like heartbreaking. I felt terrible, but nothing I could do. I had one foot of the three legs already on my arm at that point. So I get so skewed out over those conversations. I fainted once. They had to call an ambulance. <laughs> Just from talking about Somebody it. was talking about breast implants. In Mexico, there was a drug cartel that put drugs in place of breast implants, and I fainted. I fell under a table at an event. God's honest oh. truth. They're cool. Oh. <laughs> I'm I sorry can't to laugh. Yeah, that's true. That's true. No, well, then we'll, we'll skip on to the purpose of our that. conversation. I'm going to go hide under the desk now. <laughs> yeah, you don't pass out now. I don't, like, I don't like neat. Ooh, Maron, I can't handle that stuff. I'm a Mary with certain. I could eat like eyeballs and bother me. Hearts, hoofs, tongue, <laughs> stuff like that I can't do. We all have our limits. It's it's not easy. My limits are many, my friend. They are many. Patrick, you're a delicate flower, and we all yeah, love that's true. My grandma used to call me delegado all the time. <laughs> delegado, delegado, delegado. Probably <laughs> sunk in after many years. That's, that's such a complicated dude. word, delegado. Yeah, it is, isn't it? But she called me delegado, and I had a lot of, a, you know, all my issues, all my physical issues, this thing and that thing. Flat-footed. I was born messed up. I had craniostosis as a kid. And you don't have the pine nut allergy. <laughs> really, it's amazing. I really got, but they're wacky things that I had. But anyway, it is what it is. But I am delicato. Should I change the C A V A V V to? Should I change it to delicato? Delicato P O V. That might be better. Delicato P O V. That sounds like a the radio show. Delicato. But you know what? Speaking of your allergy, because I you know, obviously I, we travel together, the three of us a lot. You and I travel together for the order and stuff. So I've seen every variation of you know the the pine nut stuff and uh i know you always feel a little bolstered by the fact that the price of pine nuts has become so astronomical that a lot of bakeries have replaced them with alternatives walnuts or this and even restaurants absolutely and we talk about that a lot and and it's really interesting because we had one episode where we talked about sicilian cuisine and we were talking about the use of almonds in place of bitter almonds and what does it do and what's authentic. And, and it really does bring me back to this whole idea of what's Italian, what's Italian sounding, what are Italian ingredients. And our guest today is Robert Campagna, who comes to us from outside of Philadelphia in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, earned his master's in international business from Catholic University of Milan, where he created a research project around the economic impact of Italian sounding cheeses in the United States, meaning Italian sounding names given to cheeses made domestically here in the U.S. And that inspired him to create this really significant project that he's been running now called Stop Italian Sounding. It started on social media and uh, it's grown into a website and and kind of a movement that he's leading. And I, I find it fascinating. I know we all do. So I'm looking forward to this conversation today and uh, very happy to welcome Robert Campagna to the Italian American podcast. Robert, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've been following what you do. I find it really, really interesting. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago, there was a, I don't want to call it a tariff war, but a, a little bit of a sticky issue with Italian imports for a while. And a, and a lobby group was started. Uh, it was headed by Senator Barletta, Lou Barletta, from former senator from Pennsylvania. But uh, I thought a lot during that time because, you know, there was a kind of reaction in some quarters that said, well, if you can't get affordable parmigiana from parma you can get a parmesan product from wisconsin and you know what does that mean and what does that mean uh here so describe just a little bit robert if you can what fits into this mold of italian sounding what kind of products are here that you're sort of uh, advocating an awareness around 
you know, the distinction? Okay, um, so the very good question. Basically, what my uh, my thesis project was from my uh, uh, the master's in international business at the Cattolica di Milano. Um, basically, an Italian sounding product is a product that quote unquote induces the consumer to associate the local product with the actual Italian one. Um, now, Italian sounding products aren't just found in the United States; they're found all over the world. It's a problem. In Canada, in uh, Brazil, Argentina, uh, Russia, China, all over the place. Um, so these are products that uh, use elements of Italianness, Italianita, uh, on on packaging uh, to to leverage uh, in order for the uh, uh, consumer to to purchase that product. So we're talking about cheeses, we're talking about wines, uh, sauces, anything in the food industry. Um, and I do realize that sometimes it's hard to find authentic Italian mozzarella from Italy over here in the United States because it's a fresh product. I totally get that and understand. Uh, and at times, even in New Jersey, you could find mozzarella that's fantastic and delicious. Um, so I'm, I'm not advocating for um, closing down the production of Italian sounding products. I'm just advocating more for, let's say, transparency on, on packaging. Uh, along with, you know, teaching the, the history and the tradition of authentic Italian products, such as Parmigiano Reggiano, which you just mentioned. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, obviously Italy has the DOC, DOP or whatever, right? All of these uh, geographic distinctions and uh, EU regulations about what can be called what. And, you know, when I was growing up, any white wine that had bubbles in it was champagne. And now there's been a serious movement in France to make sure that that designation is reserved for stuff that grows in champagne. And, you know, uh, you, you see a lot more awareness than ever around this before we get into kind of your campaign and what the negatives are. What's the positive alternative? You know, let's say you you produce a mozzarella in um, Wisconsin or New Jersey. What's the right way to do it? If you're making a domestic mozzarella. How should you present it to the consumer to be distinct from an Italian import? Um, uh, Italian style. If they write, you know, Italian style, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's quite clear. Uh, Italian style, Italian sounding, um, using words, you know, similar to that. Um, there have been cases where, you know, you see everything written in Italian, for example, maybe Americans don't speak Italian. Most of them don't, obviously. Um, so they're not sure as to what, you know, if it's actually Italian or not. Um, so, yeah, just as two simple words, Italian style, I think, goes a long way. Are there any companies that have actually amended their marketing and their their branding? Uh, to my knowledge, no. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not in contact with, you know, American companies that produce Italian style products. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming some of them try to be as clear as they think they are with their packaging. So you're really advocating for an awareness on the consumer level and not any kind of amendment on the producer level. On the on the American producer level, correct. I'm I'm more trying to focus my efforts on teaching consumers about history, tradition, how the product's made, where it comes from, uh, from the Italian side, and compared to fighting, I should say. Um, proper labeling. It would be great if these labels were to be changed. Um, but I think it's more effective to uh, take a different approach. And that approach is simply to uh, educate, uh, like I said, about the, the interesting facts uh, of Italian food. So, for example, if somebody were to buy something in the supermarket, they remember 
seeing something on my website or on one of my social media pages. Oh, I remember that. Uh, I don't know. Um, Parmesan Reggiano is a thousand year old cheese and to look for the dotted rind. And that's what they do. If they choose to buy the Parmesan, that's totally up to them. Um, I always have in my videos, you know, at the bottom of the description um, that I, I'm in no position to tell you what to buy, obviously. Um, as long as you're happy, that's totally cool. But, you know, here's the difference. I think you got a really great approach because you're an educator and it's you're about educating. Right. Because I think Italy has and I, I can understand from a commercial point of view that Italy doesn't want certain companies or industries using, I guess you'd say, proprietary names. Is that I don't maybe that's not correct. It could. I don't know what what would you what would you classify? Because, I mean, the, the EU has the IGT and IGP, but what would be the classification of those words? What would you call those? Denominations, the, the, the denominations. The uh, denominations. So I think it's it's because it's not the approach of you can't use that word as much as it's approach of this product is special and that's why. Exactly. So that's exactly. why Italian Parmigiano Reggiano is special. And if you buy a product made somewhere else, that's a play on that name or that name itself. It's not the same product. And this is why. And I think I'm, I'm sure that's the educator in you because you're an Italian teacher. Am I correct? You are correct in saying that. Yes, absolutely. It's all about education, education. And I want to do it from a positive point of view. I never like to do anything from a negative point of view. That's the Italian American in you, because I, I, I would, you know, I would assume if this was coming from an Italian perspective in Italy, it would be a lot more uh, chip on the shoulder, frankly, because, you know, the, the, the idea of protectionism really in terms of these brands and these products. It is interesting because, you know, you think about and we talk about this on the show a lot you know we did a, an episode that i really enjoyed about the uh ronzoni decision to discontinue pastina and uh we talked about how you know because of shipping and because of cost and just the way our community's history sort of panned out those domestic pasta brands were the staple in most households for a very long time probably as, as padoe says until the 80s and then all of a sudden, the competition just exploded. And now, I mean, you know, there's eight gazillion types of pasta in every local supermarket. And uh, it makes one question, what happens to those original products, the Palio, ricotta, and, you know, those kind of things? You know, is where's their place in the Italian-American culinary tradition, you know? Because, I don't know, that, you know, my, my grandmother was using some of those products and, I loved her food. So, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, sometimes I think are some of these things, even if they're not from Italy, are they our heirlooms and our sort of DOC or DOP, whatever it is? Absolutely. And I, I totally agree with what you're saying. There is definitely space for those products. Um, I, I like to say that, you know, Italian cuisine and Italian American cuisine are, are separate. They're, they're different. Obviously one comes from another. Uh, they're both to be respected. I, as an Italian American love, I love Italian American cuisine. I'm just going to say it as it is. And I also love authentic Italian cuisine. Um, but you are, are right in saying that, you know, um, Ranzoni Pastina, for example, even though it was discontinued or Palio or some of these other Italian American uh, brands or companies do have a spot, um, should be respected. And it's interesting that you say that, you know, um, maybe that is our version of DOP. And I, I think that here in the United States, we should promote local products kind of similar to how they do in the European Union and take pride in uh, products uh, like that. For example, cheese made in Wisconsin, 
I respect it. I have the, the highest level of respect for that, of course. Um, they produce so much cheese, but why not call it something different and take pride in it and, and create, this is how, these are how new cheeses are made, okay? Because obviously Parmesan made in Wisconsin is not Parmigiano-Reggiano. Why not continue to produce it, call it something else, um, come up with a denomination, we used that word before with it, and, and market it like that. I, I really believe that a lot of people uh, would purchase it uh, for that reason, being uh, proud from uh, Wisconsin. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I think that's absolutely true. I, I think about, you know, obviously there's risk involved, right? Just sort of changing track and anything, especially older companies, older brands. But of course, I th- it's the same sort of sentiment around Italian American cuisine and Italian cuisine being distinct and being appreciated for that. Because, you know, if we had a, d- a different word to describe being Italian American, and we could then label our cuisine that and label our language, like we talked about in our last episode, and whatever it is, our food products are, you know. I wonder if then you can kind of mute some of the, what I think of as sort of really unfounded criticism that comes back to us from overseas around the stuff that for us is, in some cases, 150-year-old traditions that, you know, right. they are our traditions. They're, they're real. They're valid. They're authentic in every sense of the word. They're just not the same thing as Italy. So it, it's an interesting Absolutely. question. You know, could you seed in people's mind a new identity around these things? Is there anything out there that, that has its own? Is there any like an indigenously Italian American product that has a, its own distinct denomination. I can't think of one. Den- protected denomination. I cannot no, think just, of one either. Just in terms of like marketing. The the famous Stella Dora cookies, you know, the, uh, the biscotti. Yeah. I think of those right off the bat. Um, I, I think, I think there are other ones. It's a good question that I would have to ponder. Um, there are definitely recipes that have been around for, 100 years, 150 years, that are Italian-American, that of course come from Italian uh, recipes and have mutated and changed over the time. Um, I think of spaghetti and meatballs, for example, um, which come from, um, you know, in Italy, they have the uh, the guitar spaghetti with the, the tiny little meatballs. Of course, it comes from that. Um, and it's a very interesting story as well. Um, chicken parm would be another one, not Italian, but Italian-American. Um, delicious, one of my favorite Italian-American uh, food. So I, I do think that there are Italian American, more so recipes than products uh, that would fall into what you're saying. I'm thinking of, um, bro, what's the little um, like spreadable cheese? Uh, Belgioso, is that? Belgioso is the brand. What is it? Bel Paese, the one in the little gold, gold wrapper. Yes, Bel Paese. Belgioso is a, a brand. Yeah. In, uh, in Italy, we had like Galbani Formaggino and the. American equivalents is like laughing cow cheese, which is pretty different than formaggino. Yeah. Laughing cow is spreadable, but uh, formaggino is more solid. They're two different things, but like that would be the closest thing that we have in America to that. Ro, you, you've cooked all, all over the country with uh, nonne and individuals from all different parts of Italy, recipes that are new, old, whatever. Have you found any 
instances where the American product is preferable? Ooh. Ooh. That's deep, John. That's a, no, that's I, a I think about it, right? Dive. Yes and no, because there's just certain things you could do with certain products that you can't do with others. Like, you know, the, the way, like when, uh, when this TikTok craze came out where everybody was making like feta pasta, like the feta pasta bake, I kept trying to find a way to like Italianify that. And I was like, what if I bake ricotta salata? What's going to happen? And I did bake ricotta salata and it was friggin' terrible. <laughs> so I, you know, that's not a great example, but it's just like, I feel like what happens is people come from Italy and even they immigrate, whether it's now or a hundred years ago, and they were trying to find replacements for the things that they loved. And they just started using different things, completely different products and just trying to, it's, it's, when you think of cooking, I think of ingredients as tools and you're trying to find the best tool to do the job. So they, they had to find the tools that were available and it, it gave birth to new dishes and new traditions. So whenever we talk about, you know, this, uh, this concept of a uh, blast like Italian food became bastardized in America, I don't, I hate thinking about it like that. I always try and think of, uh, think of it as, as an evolution. Um, and when I, when I think like, is there a product that just works better? Like the American product, Philadelphia cream cheese can do a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, no spreadable cheese, no mascarpone can do no, like, uh, there's another cheese called squacquarone in, uh, in, in Italy and stuff, but Philadelphia melts a certain way performs differently. And now in Italy, they're obsessed with it. Everything is left Philadelphia. They love it. Is that true? Really? Yeah. I, yes, they love it. They put it in Gresaola. They make, you know, they make these little like pockets. Of, you know, they spread it on everything now. I didn't know. That. But you know what? But that that goes to like you know, Angelo Zafferano, which is a huge Italian food blog. Some banana can make lasagna con la Philadelphia, and it's inventive. It's innovation. I do it, and I'm a disgrace. That's so true. That is. Uh, the pot calling the kettle black is a, a an Italian trend par excellence. John, do you know what I think is the, the American product that works much better? Italy, they use vanillina, which is a fake vanilla. It's a powdered fake vanilla. Like yeah. crack. It's like and, crack. If vanillina was crack, I'd be an addict. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I like that stuff. It, it's but I think the, the, I think the American product is much better. No way. No way. I no. disagree. I think it's the American product is a natural product different but it's different it's different vanilina has that like it, it smells like disney to me i don't know it just has that like it, it is artificial it is artificial but you can't deny that it's one of the most pleasant smelling sure it's pleasant i'm not i'm not, I'm not disagreeing with the olfactory effect when you open the package but i think i mean like italy also is is a country that uses um ultra pasteurized milk it's very hard to get just normal pasteurized milk in Italy, the shelf stable stuff like Parmalat. Italy, when Italy kind of, when the EU kind of dominated and Italy's not, a, I mean, Italy's a good country for cows. It's not the best country for cows. And Holland was saturating Europe with dairy, with milk. So the Dutch would make an ultra pasteurized milk that was shelf stable like Parmalat and it would ship it down to Italy. But I think like uh, Pane de Cucina and stuff, it's all kind of a pro ultra pasteurized, processed, 
product. I think the the fresher product is much better. But in Italy, they're going to tell you you're wrong anyway. Their ultra their ultra pasteurized Dutch product is better because they sell it. Which I think Ro the the best Ro has said many wise things. But when Ro goes off about Italy's self consciousness or the one the one thing that they still got real control over is is culinary. I think that just because it's Italian, they say it's better. And it's not it's not always the case. Maybe it's the case 97% of the time, 95% of the time. I'll gladly say that. But there are times when there's other products that are better than what they make domestically in Italy. It's not even because it's Italian, it's better. It's because an Italian makes it, it's better too. But, you know, you think about, like, I'm thinking about, um, I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine. Uh, the other day about an attempt he's making to open up a New York style pizzeria outside of New York you, and and he's got New York water and, and all these different things. And, you know, it begs the same question, right? Like is something New York pizza, if it doesn't have New York water and you think about New York pizza, which I, I love equal to, you know, a, a really good uh, authentically Neapolitan pie. Uh, it's got American. I don't, I guess, you know, in the case of stop, uh, calling it Italian, it's it's mozzarella, I guess, but it's really not. It's that kind of plasticky American version. But that's you need that on New York pizza. You, you it's not the same without it, right? And of course, because we should have a DFC, an IGP New York pizza. I agree. You know, we face the same problem here near Philly with the Philly cheesesteak. Everybody tries to make the Philly cheesesteak outside of Philly, and they can't do it. Hey, Roberto, can you do me yes. a favor? Can you can you make one video? that stop American sounding because those idiots over there, they make a pizza with hot dogs and French fries. They, want they to, do. They want to make a pizza with hot dogs and French fries on it. And then they want to call us animals. Okay. <laughs> they call that pizza Americana. That doesn't count. It's no, like you have a problem being criticized by an animal. Okay. Who will eat pizza with hot dogs and French fries on it. You, you know, you're right about that. And I should do a video. Um, I don't know the last time you were in Italy, but I was I was considered doing a video also about some of the American restaurants in Italy, specifically in northern northern Italy. I could think of one called uh, Roadhouse. It's an American style restaurant. I think it goes down to Emilia Romagna's, maybe not southern Italy, all over the place. It's kind of like their version of Olive Garden, if you will. Um, I've never eaten in there, but I should and and do a video on. It. I think that would be interesting. Good, you should. You know what? You should go on the offensive. You really should. That's something we're thinking about. What are the American sounding things in Italy that I found one? You did. I, I found hamburger buns in, uh, you know, the supermarket Esselunga. Are you familiar with that supermarket? I, I don't think they're in southern Italy, mainly in the north. I lived there for a year, so I'm, I'm familiar with that. Anyway, um, they had these buns for hamburgers with American flag all over, American bun written in English. You read the fine print made in Lombardia with Italian ingredients, so on and so forth. So that would be a case of American sounding, to wow. be fair, to be that's fair. A, that's really interesting. I I, yeah. I didn't think about that. I, I you know, we were in um, we were in Paris with some friends over Valentine's Day. A uh, couple of couples. We went over there and uh, I don't know. I, I think it was somewhere around Valentine's Day. We, we ended up being there for the Super Bowl. And so one of our friends, Alyssa Scotty, booked us to watch the game at the Hard Rock Cafe because that was the place that was showing it. And uh, I remember the food coming out. Uh, it was obviously an American menu at the Hard Rock Cafe, and it was like everything had something 
Frankified about it, and it was, you know, not American food. And I remember thinking in the back of my head, like, if this role was reversed, the situation was reversed, and you had a, you know, a Bastille Day event, and you were doing the American version of it, they would be coming out with pitchforks and torches. Oh, they would. Wisconsin Brie. Wisconsin (laughs) Brie, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It would not be well received. But yeah, we, I don't think we think of that as Americans. I think we export our culture out into the world and just sort of let it go without any concern. Maybe, maybe there's a sense of certain self-confidence that the country has. I actually just thought of a food where the American is better than the Italian and it's wonder bread because in Italy they have like these fettine called like panca. Sometimes they call them pancare or whatever. And they're the bauletto. Yeah. Like those, awesome. they're those wonder bread squares. A lot of times you can find them crustless in Italy they use them, they flatten them, they roll them. It's very pliable white bread, but it's essentially Wonder Bread. And I think Wonder Bread does a better job because nothing will mold. Wonder Bread is like the clay of a chef. It, it's, it, it'll do anything. Yeah, it's like Play-Doh. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny you say that. I was on, you know me, I'm not on social media much, but I was on the other day for some reason on the podcast account to put something up. and. Uh, what do you call those things that are like mini movies, Ro? Reels. Reels. Reels, yes, thank you. A reel came up of somebody saying, I learned this recipe in Italy, and it was two pieces of Wonder Bread with tomato paste in the tube squirted on, two pieces of um, pepperoni, which that to me sounds like the biggest violator of Italian sounding because I, I, I can't trace it back to anything in, in Italy, and shredded American-style mozzarella cheese pressed between two pieces of Wonder Bread cut out into a rectangle and then toasted. And I, I wondered to myself, could this actually have been something that this person picked up in Italy? And maybe this is like a new Italian approach or, or you know, affinity for our products? Or is this person just full of bologna? Because I, I that not, not one piece of that seemed Italian to me, but, you know, here, here it was. And they were representing it as something that they uh, they learned in Italy, starring Wonder Bread. Then That makes me think, now we're talking about it, is there pepperoni in Italy? Like, is it an indigenous product? Pepperoni as we know it, no, because it, if you look at the spelling of pepperoni, it's spelled with two Ps, the word pepperone, as you may know, uh, in the Italian language, it's pepper, like a bell pepper. Right. Uh, so they're two separate things. I think pepperoni as we know it uh, comes from the... Um, Salsiccia picante napoletana, so the, you know, the, um, uh, the spicy uh, uh, Neapolitan uh, sausage, I believe is where it comes from, or maybe uh, one from Calabria, definitely Southern Italy. Um, I am not sure why it's called pepperoni with two peas. That's still something that I have to research and get a better answer on. But the, the most similar thing you could find in Italy is the, the, spicy, the spicy sausage uh, from, from, from the South. And to me, that's like two completely distinct tastes when you have i mean i'm not a big fan of american pepperoni but i think about some of the you know again really indigenous heirloom italian american recipes like pepperoni rolls in uh, west virginia or you know these kind of very important products to a lot of communities that they've been using forever and it is a great question where does that come from and it's it's ours now yeah it's ours yeah right exactly and that could go back to the question you had before about what is something that's italian american that we could put a DOP label on, for example, pepperoni. There you go. Yeah, 
That's a, that's that's a tiny American, 100%. I wanted to uh, comment uh, on uh, what Rosella said before uh, uh, with recipes evolving and, and using ingredients as tools. Um, one thing that um, is very Italian American is the use of garlic. And I'm sure you could comment better than me. I, I, I cook, but um, my content is not really cooking related. Um, so the use of garlic, when, when, Italian when Italians came over to the United States, they had to use what was, what was available. And that's why uh, garlic is so uh, prevalent in, in many Italian American recipes. Whereas in Italy, you know, they use a, a piece of garlic and then they, they get rid of it after they don't even eat it. But I think I think there's a distinction there. They hate garlic and onions now in Italy. Now it's cool to like hate garlic and onions and to associate its overuse with uh, cafonery. Yeah, but I think that the garlic, this is my position on garlic. My grandmother used garlic predominantly and my grandmother used garlic or onion almost in everything. It was one or the other. My grandmother had a very strict rule. You couldn't put them together. But that's a Neapolitan thing. Because if you go to my grandfather's side from the Cilento, they do mix garlic and onion. Hmm. So it's a regional thing. Like my grandmother would freak out. My grandmother would never cook with black pepper. So she would use it as a condiment. Like she would, she would grate it on stuff, but she would not put black pepper in anything that was cooked. That's fascinating because my nonna hates black pepper. Well, my grandmother used to say, see, I would, my grandmother would say stuff. And I, I, cause I was an annoying child. The way I am now is the way I was then. So I would ask all these questions. And my grandmother said, I think it was Ulfagata. I think it was the liver. My grandmother said that cooking black pepper was disturbing to the liver. Now that's now I researched that and that is an old school Neapolitan theory. So in old school Naples, they never cooked with black pepper in it and something cooked. It was only used raw on top of things. Now that's an extinct mentality. I bet, I don't know if people would even know that today, but my grandmother had that, that was entrenched in her mind. But my thing is that you could go five towns over and they do use black pepper, but my grandmother would use black pepper. And that was something that was baked. So it's always very complicated. And I think that, um, like I said, the, the, the province of Naples has this fatwa down on garlic and onions in the same pot, where if you go to the so province of Salerno right over, they don't. So I, it's plus it's, you know, in Italy, whatever the rule of my town is, should be the universal rule. <laughs> Pat, did you pick up from your grandfather's side from the Valo if they use pepper? Because I'm thinking now about before my grandfather died and he was a cook. He, he cooked all the time. He had a pizzeria for a while in the 50s. And he tried to teach me at 15 uh, his marinara sauce. And I remember black pepper being something he was very adamant about, including. Did you pick up anything in your... My grand your People ask me this question. My grandfather's side died all very young. Mm. So my grandfather was like the run to the litter to the younger ones. And his siblings who were like 10 to 12 years older, the women in the family all died in their 60s. I don't think any of them even made it to 65 from cardiovascular issues. So I don't, I never, I don't have memories of eating at aunt's house. Mm -hmm. My mother would never have paid attention. Ro, do you, did you encounter, do you encounter pro or con black pepper in any of the nonnas you've talked to? My own nonna doesn't like black pepper. She doesn't, she doesn't put it in anything. And people, a lot of people comment that my recipes uh, are pretty light on the black pepper because sometimes when I'm filming, I want to put it in stuff I can't find it because it's like, you know, thrown out of the house half the time. See, I think the other thing with black pepper is my grandmother used garlic and everything, but my grandmother never used a lot. So I think the Italian American overuse in some places, it's it's just overused. Right. So I never saw my, my grandmother never 
overused it. It was in a, a, a dosage appropriate to what she was making. If we're going to speak about the great sins in Italian in Italian cooking, I don't think the overuse of garlic or onion should be one of them. I don't think I, I don't like the argument. I think if you like garlic, you like the way it tastes, put it in stuff. If you don't like it, don't put it in stuff. Just don't break balls about it. The one thing I will say about like garlic and dairy should ne like never the twain shall meet. Like if you if you're making pasta coricotta, you should. Yeah, that's true. And I've got oh, I would agree with that. Yeah, I've gotten comments like when I'm making just simple pasta coricotta, like pasta ricotta, pasta water. They're like, what? No garlic? And I'm like, oh. But you have to understand, Italian food is a balancing act. Yeah. It's all about balance. And I think that people don't... See, I'm going to say this again, because I know we have a lot of listeners who are on a... They learn with us, which is a great honor for us. A lot of people, when they left their villages in 1880 or 1890, and they were in remote parts of Calabria, or they were in remote parts of, you know, um, uh, of Abruzzo or, or um, Basilicata, they maybe had three or four dishes that they ate. Because the ingredients were so limited. So you had greens, beans, and a homemade macaroni that was kind of mixed in. And once a year, when the goat got really old or the chicken got old, you killed them for a special occasion or like Christmas or when somebody was sick. So they didn't come. Like people don't realize that, especially the desserts and stuff. If you came here in 1880 and you're from a remote part of Basilicata, you made like what I would call a zapula, which some parts of the country they would call fried dough. Sprinkled with a little bit of honey. And that happened once a year and that was it. So I think a lot of Italian, even Italian born immigrants when they came here were a confronted with ingredients they couldn't have ever found in Italy or they couldn't have afforded. Remember, black pepper is very expensive. Yeah. That's why you use it as a condiment right now. You're in America and you get ground black pepper. That's like powder and you can buy it for next to nothing and you can douse it on everything. Right. So meats exotic ingredients they become available for the first time in abundance because when you're living in italy you're constantly rationing stuff because you got to make it last like people don't realize that olive oil people go oh in italy they fried in olive oil some stuff was fried in olive oil olive oil was a condiment because olive oil was exp was always expensive even if you had trees right olive oil is a tough process it takes a long time to to grow an olive tree they say you grow you plant olive trees for your children and your grandchildren because you're not going to live to see them in full production People fried in lard because it was cheaper. Yeah. So there's a lot, but uh, Italy also forgets that. But you know what they definitely didn't fry in? Vegetable oil or corn oil yeah. or olio of peanuts or whatever the hell they convince you with their marketing is the right oil to fry in. Summers for movies on Mediaset Italia. Every Sunday, pop some popcorn and enjoy Italian cinema on Mediaset Italia at 8.35 p.m. Eastern, 5.35 p.m. Pacific. July movie highlights include Una Festa Esagerata on July 2nd, Tre Sorelle on July 9th, Tiramisu on July 16th, and Saison Rose on July 23rd. So go to the movies with Mediaset Italia this summer. Call your local television provider and ask for the channel today. It's funny you say that because I was thinking about the uh, my collection behind me here, actually, of all of these old like Italian clubs or society cookbooks and i have them from the 40s to the 90s and i love going through the different eras and it's interesting to see you know the 50s 60s uh, crisco coming in or oleo which i don't think you can even get your hands on anymore if you wanted to make a recipe specific to what it was and yeah it, it's it's what people used it's what's familiar 
like Pat talks about the additional ingredients that we get here, but you also talk, you know, we've talked on the show before about ingredients you couldn't get. So the idea of using fresh canned tomatoes, uh, impossible for the earliest immigrants. Tomato paste is a huge part of the oldest recipes that come over here. And my family's been here a long time. When Nicole and I started dating, I remember her saying to me, your family's recipes are much heavier than mine. But because when, when those recipes became heirlooms to us, they were paste-based. They had to be. There was no other alternative. So paste was the only way to preserve tomatoes. Exactly. Yeah. Before jarring, before jarring really came to be in the Napoleonic period. And it was much longer after that than it became a household thing in Italy. Paste was made on screens. They would sun-dry the passata, what would be with, you know, um, strained tomatoes. It would become a very, very thick paste. The thick paste was put in terracotta uh, pots. And then olive oil was poured on top of it as the preservative. And you didn't have the botulism issue because you need a sealed container to create botulism. Mm. But with the terracotta pots, they don't close hermetically. So they're kind of rough. So there's a little bit of air getting in and out. That is fascinating. So what your ancestor would do is, so the the proto gravy, right? So when Manesta Maritada exits on the Sunday menu in Naples, and the, the, I call gravy. I'm going to have the sauce war, whatever, whatever you want to call it. The Sunday sugo, whatever, the, whatever, sugo. The, whatever. The, whatever no, I hate that word. It was on the Pat hate list. I don't know where this, <laughs> but it's like, you know, the Sunday sauce one really puts me through the bat, whatever it is. They would scoop the paste from that crock. A little bit of the oil would drip off. That would stay. The oil would stay as the preservative. And then the paste would be um, diluted with water. And that's how it came. That's that's how you made it. Because even Arthur Schwartz in his book, Naples at Table, will say that the first Neapolitan immigrants to Manhattan's Little Italy, which was predominantly Neapolitan, were paste people. And that the really, really old families in New York, you can tell who they are because they have a paste-based gravy. And I think it was like a one to five. So for every, I'd say for every cup of paste, you would add five cups of water, basically. And then you had to cook it down a long time because then you'd have to re you'd have to cook it to the fact where it was wasn't too thin. It wasn't too thick. That's so interesting because my mom's side, which is obviously the Sunday macaroni that we eat. My grandfather's family has been here the longest. My grandmother has used her mother-in-law's recipe and it is paste based and I love it. My dad's side, my grandmother, who she was born here after they got here, but many, many years later, not paste-based and just a fundamentally different Sunday. And the same as my wife. My wife's family uses the tomatoes that we jar every two years. So it's this is stuff I love. And I know we could talk about this all day. We're approaching an hour. I asked Robert one quick question. Yes. Your family has to be from Abruzzo, is it? Molise. Ah, close enough. Six yeah, one. But in Italy they say, yeah, right, exactly. In, in Italy they say Molise non esiste. For some reason I think it doesn't exist. It was a meme that went around a few years ago. Um, you dominate Philly. The way that Campania dominates New York, you dominate. Philly is all a Molise with a, with a, with a it Calabrian is. minority. It, it, it is. You're right about that. It's funny. When I go back to my town, Colia Volturno, um, which is a town of maybe like 1,200 people. Everybody knows each other, of course. Um, they say that Philly is the La Piccola Colli. Mm-hmm. So the small Colli is, is, is Philly, even though there's more people in Philly that are actually from my town of Colli. Uh, so it's funny. And I want to make one, one other comment, uh, Pat, what you said before about the, uh, the recipes that Italians brought over to the United States, four, five, six different recipes. Italian cuisine really spread here in the United States because you'd have 
people from all over different regions bringing their their recipes and sharing it with each other. For example, pizza, as we know today, wasn't really known in Northern Italy until they met somebody from Northern Italy. Um, and that was thanks to the, the mass immigration. So uh, we, we definitely uh, have to give credit where credit's due. But uh, yeah, I could talk about food forever. You should do a Philly guide, a cheesesteak Philly. Philly guide, because that's your food. That's your that's your that is Philly food. identity, that's eagles and cheesesteaks. And... But that is a great question I've asked all the time, and I know we're, we're getting to our close. But is the Philadelphia cheesesteak, and I don't know much about its history. I know Gino's and Pat's are Italian, were at some point or maybe still are Italian-American-owned businesses. Is the Philadelphia cheesesteak an Italian-American product? Was it created by us here? I think it is. I don't know the history of the Philadelphia cheesesteak, but I think it is because, like you said, there's a lot of Italian-American culture. I mean, even if, when you go order, you see, you know, stickers, signs that bring you back to to Italian-American. Um, that could be a good another good, interesting uh, video as well. Yeah, it's a great question because we were in Chicago uh, like a couple weeks ago with the Avanti group and uh, our friends from Growing Up Italian, and we went uh, to eat Italian beef. And our comment was it was basically like a, a wet cheesesteak missing all the good cheesesteak parts. But it, it, I thought to myself, like, if this is Italian, American, I, I wonder if Philadelphia cheesesteak really is. It's a it's a great question. It is worthy of a of an exploration. And uh, I think you're the perfect guy for it. I could I could tell you cheese whiz is not Italian. <laughs> well, again, American. So <laughs> it's like using the Philadelphia cream cheese. You, you take what you got. And exactly. I, Exactly. I have no, I have no hate for no, cheese whiz on a on a cheesesteak. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely. I'm an anti cheese whiz person. You like the real American slices? Yeah, I want to know the truth. I think that the undiscovered, the real champion of Philly cuisine. I know what you're gonna sandwiches. say. Wait, I know you say you say you're gonna say the the pork sandwich with the uh, broccoli rob. No, I think the tripe sandwich. Oh, that's good. I think that Philly's best gem is the tripe sandwich. I don't think I've ever had that. Which which they have a was it the Ninth Street the, the the Italian section of South Philly. Ninth Street. There's a tripe sandwich there that's made by a Greek that is like if I was dying and I was I was checking out, I don't know if it'd be my last meal, but it might be my last lunch. Because <laughs> the bread is mushad, it's nice and soft, and it's like tripe on a sandwich, but it has the hot pepper. That's what I love about it. Something tells me we should be making a trip down there for that because that sounds fantastic. I never saw anyone make love to anything the way that Joe Del Rosso and Frank Giordano made love to a Philly cheesesteak. Do you remember that <laughs> their Christmas party? Yeah. That's <laughs> how you can tell a Philly person. Like their eyes lit up and guys, <laughs> guys who drink champagne and eat caviar and three o'clock in the morning, the Philly cheesesteak comes in and, you know, the Philly boy kicks in. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Well, Robert, I, I think we've got it. We've given you a couple of uh, assignments on behalf of the whole community to take back with you that uh, I think would be great additions to what you're doing, what we're doing, what everybody's doing. Absolutely. I got to say something. People got to follow Robert's, I say Instagram because I'm not that smart with this. It's the Instagram page, correct? Yes, Instagram, TikTok. It, it's so well done. It is so professional. Well, at Stop Italian Sounding, that's the handle. It is so professional. And so well done, and it's so educational. It's a goal, another gold standard Italian American social influencer. Thank you. I really want to compliment because you have done such a fantastic job with that. So professional, so well articulated. So everybody needs to follow this. You have to follow this. 
Beth, what I really appreciate about your content is that like you're never really alienating. You're very educational, but you don't talk down to anyone and you don't make it sound like, oh, you're an idiot if you thought that this was Italian because it's not, you know. No, absolutely absolutely not. Absolutely not. And there there's history behind everything. So people believe things because of, of the history that, you know, of course they uh they were taught. So no, absolutely not. It's all trying to make it as positive as possible as, as what I said and educational as well. So I thank you for the kind words and people. That's why people are attracted because it's a positive. All your posts are super well-researched and really informative and you bet you dot every I you cross every T it's really cool to see because a lot of people just throw up a video uh, with some nonsense that they think is right. And you know, there's so much out there that's not correct. Well, you know, Pat always says the Abruzzese, the Molizani, they're no trouble. They're good no, they're people. No you don't even know they're there. That's why no one knows they're there. <laughs> it's a region that never bothers anybody. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I say that all the time. We're pleasing to everybody. That's right. It is. It's a very pleasing culture and uh, happy to have a fine representative of, uh, I'll say the Abruzzi, right? The, the two regions, because they are so, so wonderfully. Is that why it was a plural? Yeah. Is that why they used to say Abruzzi? Because it was when it was. Yep. So did it become Abruzzo when, when Moise divorced them in 1964? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. That's why I went from Abruzzi to Abruzzo. Yes. But you'll see a lot of old stuff, even in Italian America, still labeled Abruzzi. Even when they're referring to just Abruzzo, because oh, yeah. because with the Bourbons, there were two provinces named Abruzzo, wasn't it? Abruzzo Cidra and Abruzzo Ultra, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Ah, you put them two together, you make Abruzzi. Wow. Definitely has to go back to the Kingdom of Naples, and it's funny because my grandparents still say that we're Abruzzese because when they came over to the United States, it was still one region. So according to them, we're Abruzzese, um, but in reality, no, we're Molisani. That's a comp. We we don't have any region in Italy that has that complicated relationship to divorce like that. Not that I could think of. No, that's their thing. No, Man. that's it. Like, are you a Molizano? That should be a different episode. Are you a Molizano? Are you a Brutsev? That is yeah. a good episode. That's your in words, John. I'm not. I'm not barking up that tree. I you gotta, well, you no. He's You got to be from Molise to have that question because my father-in-law still his his town's still a Brutso. That's a very metaphysical episode because if you're a Molizano, do you exist? <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get Linda Carlozzi on. I got a bunch of Molizano friends who would love to opine on that for sure. And it, I, having spent some time there uh, not too long ago before COVID, it is a wonderful, beautiful region. I highly recommend it. And uh, Campobasso is a great little town. So, big plug for Abruzzo and a big plug for Stop Italian Sounding. We will link all of Robert's work on our show page. You'll be able to find it. And like Pat says, this is a great and educational and thankfully positive and kind example of how we learn about who we are so hopefully everybody out there enjoyed this really interesting look into italian sounding products and italian american cuisine and culture thanks for listening and we'll see you next week if you want your life to be great see that you're born in italiano and your life will be great See that you're born in Italiano and-